This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, School Success Makers. Today we're joined by my friend Dan out of the great state of Pennsylvania. He's a head of school of a Christian school up there, and he's doing some awesome, awesome things. He's a super cool guy, too. And we uh, made some small talk in the beginning, realized he knows a lot of the same people that I do from when he was living in Florida. So super small world. I love it. You're going to love this conversation. So please enjoy this next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater. I'm joined by a new friend out of Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, Mr. Dan Steinfield, who is the head of school at Delaware County Christian School, and of course, none other than Newtown, Pennsylvania, and they're doing some sweet things there. They're a big school with a beautiful campus. If you guys get a chance, go to their website and check it out. It is magnificent. I love it. They have a great video on the homepage. You can see kind of what all the students are up to and the campus, but I don't want to take any thunder away from him. I will pass it off to introduce himself. So Dan, welcome to the podcast today, sir. Yeah, thank you, Mitchell. It's really a privilege to be on this today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. It's going to be a blast. And I know I mentioned in the beginning, you mentioned it was a beautiful day there in Newtown Square, but what what else is there to do there? So I always try and like start off the podcast. If I was to come visit, what are we going to do for fun there? What's something really cool to do there? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, Delaware County Christian School is located in the main line right outside of Philadelphia. And so there is so much to do. Obviously, the first thing we would do is go to historic Philadelphia. I'm a history teacher by trade. So we would bore you with all the history visits there in the city of Philadelphia. But you're also so close to great hiking. There's some great lakes. If you like the outdoors, there's plenty to do in the outdoors. You're an hour and a half from New York City, two hours from Washington, D.C., an hour or so from Baltimore. So it's really a tremendous location here right outside of Philadelphia. So much to do and enjoy in this area. Man, I feel like if you're right outside of Philadelphia, does that mean everybody has to be Eagles fans or they get shunned by everybody? Yeah, you have to be an Eagles fan or you would be you would not have a long life expectancy, correct? Oh, no. Oh, man. So, that sounds awesome. And I love that you're close to so many different things. And it still blows my mind because I'm not super familiar with the nor- the Northeastern area. But I just know that there are certain areas you are so close to everything because I know they're just crammed in there in the Northeast. So that is crazy. All those different places you guys are close to. But man, that's crazy. So I got to come visit. I want to come gotta, out there. You got to come visit. And uh, it's really a great place to be. You can travel 45 minutes to an hour and a half in any direction and be in the Pocono Mountains or be at the beach, the Jersey or Delaware shores. It's really a great location to be. How close to the beach then would you be? If you go to New Jersey shore, you're about an hour and a half. Okay. All right. Is that a good beach? Uh, Yeah, they're good beaches. You know, I'm partial to Delaware myself, Bethany Bay, Bethany Beach area. It's kind of where my family has grown up. I will say we spent a short time in Florida as I head to school down in Florida and the beaches up here don't touch 
the Florida beaches. That's all I'm going to say. Nothing more needs to be said, Mitchell, but you can't touch, you know, Florida beaches. So, And I know you were down at uh, Jupiter, was it Jupiter Christian School? Jupiter, Jupiter Christian School in Florida, right? Yeah. And I know that Jupiter Beach is just beautiful there. That water is just turquoise. Crystal blue. Yeah. So it's nice. uh, absolutely beautiful. So, and I've heard that about the New York area beaches. They're just not the same. They're a beach, but they're just not the same. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Still, well, still beautiful in their own New Jersey and Delaware way. I'll make sure I say that, but not Florida. <laughs> and if it's what you got, hey, it's what you got. And it's better than not having a beach at all. Right. So, well, the kids that go to your school, the students that go to your school, are they mainly coming from Philadelphia and they drive out? Or a lot of people live in the suburbs and come to your school? That's a great question. So we're a pre-K two through 12th grade school. We have about 800 students in our pre-K two, two through 12th grade. We have two campuses. Our pre-K two through fifth is on one campus. And then our sixth through 12th grade is on our second campus. And our students come from a wide range of areas. A lot are, are the suburbs around Philadelphia. We do have students who come from Philadelphia itself. We've had students that has, have come as far as Wilmington, Delaware to be a part of Delaware County Christian School. So it's a pretty wide radius that we pull from. Our student body is really diverse as well. It's one of the things that makes our school unique here on the main line. We're about 38 or 40% diverse in our student body. And so it really creates just a wonderful culture and a really tremendous place to be in terms of doing life together in school. Awesome. And are you guys a covenant school? We are a parent covenant school. So one parent professes faith in Christ to come and be a part of Delaware County Christian School, correct? Okay, very cool. And just so people have a background on you, I probably should have started with that. Give me some background on you and you're in education. I know you said history teacher by trade, and I know you were down in Florida for a little bit, but get a little bit of background on you and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, quick version is started my teaching career at Delaware County Christian School as a middle school teacher. I taught history, geography, civics. So I'm a social studies PA certified teacher by, you know, originally by trade. Worked at DC for about 16 years in both teaching in the classroom and then about, you know, moved my last four or five years that I was here into administration, was on the executive team. Left DC in 2013 to be a head of school. And the Lord gave me some wonderful experiences as head of school. Most, the most recent one was at Jupiter Christian School. And then in 2019, Delaware County Christian School was searching for a head of school and we explored the opportunity and the Lord just made it very clear and opened the door for us to return here in July of 2019. So I am finishing year three as head of school here at DC. Man, very good. And I'm assuming, you know, no pressure around a recorded line here. You love it. I'm assuming there at Delaware. Yeah, I, I love it. You know, my family, we bleed green and white. Those are our school colors and just love the community here. Having been here 16 years before coming back, it was like returning to family, returning home. So yeah, we absolutely love it. The schools that the Lord had us be a part of were tremendous schools as well. We loved our time there. I would actually say I would not be the guy to lead DC if I had not had those experiences and very thankful for the people we met along that journey, but very confident in God's call to be at DC right now at this season in our life. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm assuming you guys are experiencing probably some growth and some different challenges that are approaching with just the world we live in right now. And I know a lot of Christian schools I've talked to, they're getting an influx of people that are interested in, in applying, which with that comes challenges. But you guys might have some of your own specific ones. So I'd love to hear about some of these different challenges you guys specifically are facing as a school, but not just what they are. Also, how are you planning on or currently combating those challenges? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we are in a really exciting time at Delaware County Christian School here. We are 
coming off of several years of enrollment decline. And we can unpack that, Mitchell, as you want. But we have seen for the last three years, tremendous growth at DC. And that's been not only in our enrollment, but also in growth in our faculty and staff and their really ownership and innovating in education, and also in some really fun capital projects that we've been able to do. And so it's been a really exciting time of growth for us. So, you know, in terms of challenges that we are facing, there's two schools of thought for that. You know, these are definitely very challenging times that we are living in. There are no short supply of external pressures pushing on us as Christian school leaders today. And I think we could rattle off the long list of external challenges that we face. I'm a big believer, though, and proponent that you need to focus internally. You need to focus on what you can control. And so, you know, I'd rather focus some of our challenges on that right now. And I think the growth we're seeing is a result of some really good strategic planning and addressing some of those internal issues. You know, the internal issues we're seeing with our faculty, staff, our students are one, being competitive with our faculty and staff. I think it's time that Christian schools really look at compensation benefits and really paying their teachers well. We're in an area in the main line where the public schools each year are raising their starting salary because it's very difficult. The pipeline is less and less in terms of new teachers coming out of colleges and the field is difficult to hire right now. And so being competitive and really paying our faculty well is something that we're working through right now. It's an internal challenge that we want to uh, be comparable to the public schools and private schools that are around us so that our faculty and staff are well cared for. Mental health and wellness of our faculty and our staff and our student body is big right now. It's something we're spending a lot of time talking about. And then really delivering our mission well, having that value proposition we talk about to families so that whatever those external pressures are, whatever storms we weather, we can list off the list of five to six that are right now. What will they be in five years? You know, they'll be maybe different. And the way you secure yourself against that, I believe, is you really double down on your mission and deliver your value proposition very well. And that's a battle for any school that's honest. There's a lot of things that we need to do and there's short resources and everyone has their long list of what they need. And so those are some of the top challenges that we face currently right now in Christian education. So when it comes to teacher pay, I mean, from the outside looking in, you go, okay, we need to pay our teachers this much. We look at our enrollments at this much, this many kids or students, we need to raise it by a thousand dollars a year per student. Is it that simple or is there way more things that go into it? Than going, like, if we do this. What if kids don't come because they can't pay their parents can't pay that much. And then we lose enrollment. Now we literally went backwards. Like how does yeah. that work? Yeah, it's a really complicated question, and we could probably spend the next hour unpacking just that. I would say there are so many levers. Tuition is one lever that you can look at and you can pull. In terms of that lever, I'm a big believer that accessibility is what you should be wrestling with, not necessarily affordability. I think a lot of schools are gun-shy or, or nervous to raise their tuition a certain amount, which is needed just to cover their faculty and staff or to cover programs that they're running, but they're shy to do it or nervous to do it. And I think there's an element where, you know, what we need to be focusing on is accessibility. Do, regardless of our tuition, do we have the channels that families can have access to the school through financial aid or other resources? We're in a strategic plan cycle right now, and one of our pillars has been sustainability. And so we're looking at alternative ways to support our faculty and staff as well. To give you an example, we just completed an endowment campaign and at least 60% of that campaign, the money raised goes to support our faculty and staff salaries over the next 
three to five years. We also are looking at rentals. Are we using our facilities effectively? And can we create alternative sources of revenue that would feed our budget line? So tuition is certainly a large, probably the largest piece of the equation and then donors and, you know, development work, but there are alternative revenue sources that we can be looking at to also sustain our schools and help care for our faculty and staff. So it's a very complicated topic to unpack. Sure. And there's no sponsoring church, like a part of the school that's like helping to sustain it. That's right. DC is an independent school. We have about 120 churches currently that have families that are sending to DC right now. Wow. Okay. Wow. So yeah, lots to unpack. That was really good insight though on the tire, the part about renting out the facility and making money in different ways. Maybe people haven't thought about that one before of going, Oh, never thought about using our school as a revenue generator with those. Are you renting it out to for events to businesses who need an office space? Like what, what kind of people are renting it out? Yeah. So in our case, it's a lot of really local groups like sports teams that need gyms or fields. We have a dance troupe that uses our auditorium. That's kind of their home performance base. They use it several times a year where they do their shows in our auditorium. That's how we've landed, but we have some schools that are neighbors to us within, you know, 45 minutes to an hour radius of us. I know one school that bought a office facility for a high school, knowing they would only use the first two floors. They rent out the other two floors, the third and fourth floor. They've been able to separate them so there's no commingling. And those are rented out as office spaces to business. And that rent covers their monthly or yearly mortgage. So really, there are some schools doing some really creative things to find alternative revenue sources. I love that. So that's the first time I've heard about that on the podcast. It's a really good good idea that hopefully people have thought of. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine buying an office building. But there you go. Somebody's doing it and it's saving them a ton of money, which when that money saved goes to more teachers or goes to different programs you can do for the students. Exactly. Love that. You Now you'd said the, before you kind of came back to the school, uh, the numbers were declining. I would love to unpack that a little bit. We don't have to dive in too terribly much, but was there a specific thing that happened or a reason that stood out that you're able to share that, of why that was happening? Yeah. I mean, there, again, there's always external forces pressing against the school. You know, in 2008, we had the economic recession and a lot of schools saw a decline at that time. DC was not immune to that, but our enrollment decline kind of just slowly continued in a downward trend through 2019. And when I came, the quick answer was to point the finger at all the things around us, whether it was declining demographics or, you know, cost of tuition, or we are in a highly competitive area. The number of private schools surrounding us is astounding. And we have several blue ribbon top level public schools right in our immediate area. And so the competition is hard. And so the inclination was to point the finger at all those external things. I would say, Mitchell, to put it as simply as I can, that was our problem. We had not looked internally and said, even with all that stuff around, we have a value proposition that people should want, even with those choices around them. And what are we not doing? to deliver that value proposition to the best of our ability. As we came in 2019 and did some internal strategic planning and really did some internal assessments, we began to build out a plan that would address those things. And that's why I believe we're growing right now. We've sharpened our vision. We've addressed a strategic plan that tackles some of the areas in our school that needed growth. And we have a lot of work to do. Any school that is 
transparent with you would be honest and say there's no lack of work to do, but you have to identify the deepest needs, create a plan to address those, and then that cycle continues. Whatever works for your community, one year, every three years. We happen to be on a three-year strategic plan cycle right now. We finish next year, year three. I don't know what our next cycle will be. It might be a two-year cycle. But as we have really sharpened that vision and that value proposition, we've seen growth. The simplest way I can put it is organizations, my philosophy is organizations are living things. People want to be a part of a vibrant living thing that is going somewhere. And if you're just kind of repeating year after year, the same old thing, people can sense that and they can sense that you're not really moving anywhere with purpose and you will lose people for that reason. Even if there are poor schools around you, if they're going somewhere, <laughs> you will lose people to them. So that's how I kind of process what's happened here at DC in the last few years. So with those declining numbers, you came in in 2019 and we all know what happened in 2020. So how did that, you came in this declining numbers. I know like I think people are tired of talking about COVID when it comes to all this stuff, but I am really curious. So you came into declining numbers, you come in, you guys are obviously bigger. Now you've grown. How did that happen work when you get, when 2020 hit and you guys had to navigate COVID up there in the Northeast? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, there is no doubt, please hear clearly, there's no doubt that COVID and culture have helped DC and lots of Christian schools over the last two years. So I'm not trying to say that that's not an external factor that doesn't weigh in. I also am very strong though that COVID or culture are not a strategic plan. And I think a lot of schools are operating under the guise that culture, for example, and the challenges we're facing right now and some of the things happening in public schools, that's their strategic plan, that people will flee that and come to them. I'm a big believer it's not. We had done the strategic plan work I shared in the fall of 2019. We rolled our strategic plan out to our families in February of 2020. And we were seeing at that point, the strongest admissions activity DC had seen in over 10 years at that time, even before March of 2020 and COVID hit. So our trends were that people were responding well to the work we were doing. How did COVID impact us? Very simple, our strategic plan pillars were educational innovation, sustainability, and community engagement. And so we had just rolled this strategic plan out to our parents with a parent promise, and we were closed down in March of 2020. And so we rallied our troops and simply said, this is our live or die moment. And by that, I mean, we just told parents we were gonna be innovative, sustain ourselves, and engage the community. We either make good on that right now, <laughs> or we don't, and we won't recover from that, right? We just made a big, bold promise. And that became our North Star. We found a way as we went through March, April, May, June, as we returned to school live then the following school year in 2020, 21. And it constantly became, we're not just gonna cancel this. We're not just gonna not hold it. We're not just gonna say, well, here's kind of the, you know, the best or kind of a, a mediocre online program. We kept coming back to, we promised parents that we would be innovative, that we would engage the community, that we would find a way and so we did a lot of reimagining, re-envisioning. We got very creative in how we did concerts and art shows and plays. But rather than taking kind of an easy way out where, well, we just can't do it, we had to deliver on that strategic plan and parent promise. So for us, it ended up as tiring and exhausting as, as it has been. And it ended up being a really good thing for our community because it made us make good on a promise we had made to our parents. Awesome. And that's something I've seen for both businesses and schools is like you saw there's two different ways to handle COVID. there was a way of like oh man this is it this is what's over type of thing or you got to yeah. like adapt or die i mean that was really kind of what you're yeah. up against and so i know a lot of schools and people were like oh man we don't have good websites and oh we don't have good technology to be able to do remote learning all these things started coming out and i think 
again, the ones that are around still, they made themselves a lot better because they kind of had no choice to. And it sounds like yeah. that's exactly what you guys did. You had that's what we did. Had no choice. And so it, you're and we, we talked know. a lot. We talked a lot, Mitchell, that, you know, crises are tough. I'm not trying to minimize anything we've gone through in the last two years. It's been exhausting to lead in the last few years. I recognize that. But crises are simply accelerants. And we talked about that in our community. You know, COVID is not going to cause this or that. Uh, it's an accelerant of trends that were already at play in our community and in other businesses and other organizations. And so how do we tackle that? Un understanding that we still have some measure of control here and we can still tackle uh, the direction in, in the future that we go by God's grace. You know, I would say the most important thing happening at DC right now is God is at work in our community and blessing the community. So all credit and all glory to a God who is doing great things at DC. But we also have a team that really rallied and said, okay, like let's let's own this and figure out a way forward. Mm, so good. And this is the perfect segue into the next part of saying, hey, brag about your school a little bit. You already did a little bit of what's going good. What else? What else is going really good? So people that are listening can be like, oh, I never thought about doing that. Since it's going good for them, maybe it'll go good for us. Yeah, I would say, you know, one of the greatest strengths right now of DC is our board. We have a board that is unified, that is really thinking strategically long-term, very, very supportive of myself and the administration, the faculty and staff. Along with that also is our administrative team. We have a tremendous team and it has been a team, including faculty, staff that are making some great things happen here at DC. So I just need to brag on them for a minute. And, you know, behind any flourishing school, you're gonna see strong leaders and committed faculty and staff and DC has that right now. I think the other thing I would say that's gone really well for us, I've touched on it, but we've done some strategic planning and that has yielded some concrete steps that have really moved us forward. So that's everything from developing an admissions pipeline. We opened in 2020 an early childhood center in ECC. We now have a pre-K two through pre-K four that are in that ECC. Actually, we roll kindergarten into that ECC. That has created a tremendous admissions funnel and pipeline that we are seeing right now those families return. We have a 98% return rate of those families re-enrolling for the next year. And to give you an idea of numbers, that was on our lower campus that at the time was underutilized. There were about 220 kids on that campus, kindergarten through fifth grade. Next year, we'll have 400 students on that campus. And that's created a huge bubble group of students that our upper campus is eager to see join us on the upper campus and round out some of our numbers there. And the other thing we're doing on the other end of the spectrum is an innovation center. We launched under the leadership of Jim Farr, Director of Strategic Initiatives and Innovation Center. And that very simply put is not to be the answer to innovation at the school. Like we are going the opposite direction. You, you don't take your kids and send them to the innovation center. In other words, kind of farm them out so that they can go do STEM or innovation during this period and I don't have to do it. The innovation center is charged with being an incubator on campus, on both campuses. It's charged with creating an ecosystem. And we know we will have arrived when the faculty in their classrooms, the things that are happening in that Innovation Center, the ideas that are being born are trickling back into each of the classrooms and the faculty are really leading forward some innovative pedagogy and innovative teaching techniques that the Center for Innovation is supporting, but not necessarily coming up with or guiding or directing. Sweet. So has that been funded by a fundraiser that you guys built that out? Is it on campus that you, I mean, give, give me a little bit of backstory on that. 
Yeah, so the Center for Innovation is directed by, let's see, there's three or four staff as we go into next year. We started with one. We added the next year a second one. We'll have three or four now that are part of it as we move into next year. They have a home base on each campus. On the upper campus, the 6th to 12th grade, it's called The Loft. On the lower campus, it's called The Hive. It's a space where it's large enough that two or three classes can come together and co-teach together. That might be the entire first grade, or it might be sixth and eighth grade co-teaching on a topic that overlaps and they are in there together. It is designed to bring the community onto our campus and also send our kids out to the community. So they're building community partnerships. But again, the idea is it's kind of an incubator or think tank to inspire faculty to try new things. They have the support there. And so they can try it in the loft or in the hive, or they can try it in their classroom and those teachers will come to their classrooms. And the idea is to really get them to think really think deeply and go deeper in the learning that we're doing here at DC. And I'm assuming that's also been, has that been used for recruitment too, where people are like, I want to go because you guys have this program or have this thing you guys are doing? Yeah, it has done a lot for raising the bar of our academic program and really the way that we are merging. We talk about core agility here at DC. So the idea of the liberal arts, we're a liberal arts, traditionally a liberal arts school. We believe firmly there's a liberal arts core that our students need to learn, but they also on the other side need to know the hands-on application. And we talk about, you know, we use the term 21st century skills. I would argue they're the, the rock solid application skills that have been needed throughout time. <laughs> Communication, teamwork, collaboration, right? And so the Center for Innovation helps kind of merge those two together. And it has done a lot to really see our academic program stretch and grow and, and increase the offerings that we have. So there certainly is a marketing benefit that comes out of it. What we want to do is focus on doing education really well and doing it very deeply and creating a rich experience. And we believe that in and of itself becomes the marketing that will drive the school. And we're seeing that right now. People are seeing that the creativity and the innovation that's taking place. And of course, they're talking about it. Sure. And you guys have a goal for this fall for a certain enrollment number from where you guys are at? Where is that kind of at? Yeah. So in 2019, we were at 580 students pre-K four through um, 12th grade. We have one little pre-K four section. This next year will be 800 students. And we have a 10-year plan. If we can hold that little lower campus bubble we talked about, when that current third grade reaches their 12th grade year, we'll be around 900, 950. And our enrollment goal would be to hover in that area. I think for us in the Northeast, knowing our environment, knowing the demographics, that would be very, very respectable if we could remain around 900 and hold steady there. And you can, and with the current campuses that you have, you can hold that or you have to build different buildings for that. We need to do some work. I wouldn't say we're building new buildings. We're doing, we're really rethinking our space and kind of repurposing existing space that we have. But there are some significant capital projects we need to do to bring those, be able to hold those students. We do not have the space currently right now on either campus to sustain those numbers. And you're in an old like mansion house, right? Now what is the schools in something like yeah. that? Yeah, so both of our campuses have a mansion. The, the office I'm sitting in right now is the old Strawbridge Mansion, Strawbridge and Clothier. People from the Northeast will know what that is. It's kind of like a J.C. Penney of you know the Northeast or Sears of the Northeast. Both of our campuses have one of those historic mansions, and then the academic buildings have been built around it. We have collectively about 50 acres between the two campuses. So, Man, that's so cool. I love the history. I know you and I talked about this on our first phone call. It was like, there's so much history and old buildings there and we just don't have as much of that in florida of south florida unless yes. you go to the st augustine and stuff you get some older buildings so i love that it's just really cool the kids get to grow up in that 
in that grow up and learn history in the history of like our country, which is cool. I go to Philadelphia yeah. and all that. Yeah, a lot of the private schools in our area, almost all of them have some historic mansion building that the schools have been built around. Some of our public schools even have been able to incorporate historic buildings. It's very common in the Northeast here. Super cool. Well, you've been in education for a while. So as we kind of close it out, wrap it up, what kind of a piece of advice for all those years, you know, if you wanted to share with anybody listening, what would that piece of advice be for other school leaders? Yeah, boy. You know, I think first and foremost, you need to be grounded in Christ. You need to be in God's word, seeking the Lord. I would be the first to say what we see happening at DC here is from God. And the minute we take our eyes off of that or begin to think it's something we've done, you know, I think that we would see the blessings cease. <laughs> Just the importance of being that shepherd leader first and foremost, and that you are yourself grounded and rooted in Christ and then caring for your faculty and staff in a similar way. The other thing I would share in today's culture and climate, I think one of the most important things that school leaders need to hear, and I don't think we're hearing it enough right now personally, is that again, bad culture or cultural issues or COVID is not a strategic plan. I know right now all the talk in right now is public schools and public schools are wrestling with certain topics and there are Christian families that are going to leave and come to Christian schools. You know, that will fade away and we're probably a year or two away from that fading away. Eventually, and I don't mean this to critique any individuals and their spiritual life. But as a whole, we've seen time and time again, we eventually become lukewarm. We eventually begin to say, wow, that tuition price is pretty high and maybe my public school wasn't that bad and we'll just stay where we are. We're already seeing that, the early signs of that, the periphery of that in our admissions activity. We have four or five families this year that we were sure were coming and they've communicated back to us at the last minute here, you know, we thought about it and looking at that tuition price and maybe our public schools aren't that bad. And we're just going to go back and stick it out, you know? And so I think helping people understand what a true biblical worldview Christian education is, you can't supplement it somewhere else. And then having, you know, doubling down on your mission and really delivering that solid value proposition that will stand the test of time, whatever happens around you, that solid value proposition that parents are just drawn to your mission becomes your magnet and parents just cannot not have what you're offering for their family. I think it's the most important work we can do right now and the focus we need to stay focused on as Christian school leaders. Mm. And that was good because that was only brought up one other person kind of brought up something similar on a past podcast saying their biggest advice specifically to Christian school leaders where it was don't jump into building a building just yet for stuff yeah. because he said you're getting this influx, but he goes, I, he was worried. He's going to, I think we're going to see some bad things come from that. They're going to build these buildings for millions of dollars. And then people are going to do what you just said and go back because they're like, ah, it's expensive or maybe it's not so bad. And then they're stuck with these huge buildings that they need to fill. Yeah. That's scary to think about schools being upside down and something like that. Yeah. You know, again, I shared earlier that we have a 10 year capital project plan to build so we can absorb the students coming. So, you know, we're already looking at that as well, but we're doing it. I hope with some really good thought and wisdom, we're constantly um, checking our community. We're constantly zeroing in on our value proposition and do parents, you know, how our parents pleased with what they're getting. I think the most important way to put it is we talk all the time in our admissions process. We want families running to something, not running from something. Mm. And so you can't build buildings because families are running from something. If you follow that logic through, they will eventually run from you, right? So you've got to have families that are running to something. And that means that you are um, building something that will stand the test of time. And we 
pray, and we hope we're doing that here at D.C. I don't know. Check in with me in five years, and, and I'll let you know if that third grade made it to our uh, upper campus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been awesome, Dan. You are an amazing educator and a great leader, and I can tell just from your smile and your personality, your passion about what you do. So continue to do what you're doing, pouring into that next generation. I'm excited to see the growth for you guys for the next one, two, five, ten years that you guys are going to be there and growing. So thank you for taking time to be on the podcast and wishing you and your school nothing but the best, man. Yeah, thank you, Mitchell. I really appreciate the opportunity and praying for you as you have an opportunity to work with and lead school leaders across the country. Thanks, man. Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Dan for taking time and being on the podcast today. I loved our conversation. I love the small world, how he knows people that I know. And I'm just wishing him and his school, Delaware County Christian School, nothing but the best as they continue to grow and educate the next generation that's coming behind us. And if you were listening to today's episode and you were like, man, I need some help at my school growing enrollment or finding ways to connect better with the families that are in touch with you or automating the application process or any of that stuff. I would love to hear from you. You can check us out online, schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com. Or if you are a Facebook user and you love that more, check us out on Facebook. We got a private group just for school leaders called School Success Makers. I'd love to see you personally in there. School Success Makers on Facebook, private group just for school leaders. And as always, we'll be here next week with another amazing guest as usual on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.